Please join me in the prayer for illumination, again taken from Psalm 47. Gracious Lord, because you are high and exalted above every nation and above all creation, we come to sit at your feet in humility. The earth belongs to you, O Lord. You made it by your word, and you govern it by your word. You have honored us like nobles, inviting us into your councils. In Jesus' name. Today's first scripture reading comes from Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all of you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Our sermon text for today comes from the prophecy of Jonah, the first chapter and the first ten verses. These are printed for you here in your bulletin. It will be good for you to have that at hand as we meditate together. So let us hear God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, 
where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week on the way to the IPC hike in the mountains, I thought it would be appropriate to bring along some Swiss uh, stories. And I brought Bill Bryson's travel book, and he has a chapter about Switzerland, and I read that chapter along the way. Well, it turns out that Bill Bryson was not very impressed with Switzerland at all, actually. He's not impressed with anywhere he goes. That's kind of his thing. But here's the thing. He was impressed to learn that even though Switzerland is landlocked, at the time that he was writing anyway, it boasted the world's largest manufacturer of marine engines, engines on ships, right? That's pretty amazing. Landlocked country, marine engines. Considering that the only country in history that is maybe less of a seafaring country than Switzerland is ancient Israel. Can a landlocked country make good ship engines? I don't know. I guess you'd have to ask the sailors, right? How about this? Can the god of an ancient country that is terrified of the sea really be the god of the sea? You'll have to ask the sailors. But of course, the story of Jonah is not supposed to start on the seas, is it? It's not supposed to at all. It's supposed to start with a prophet going almost a thousand kilometers overland across the desert from Israel to Nineveh, which is present-day Mosul, Iraq. And he's not going to go. Jonah's not going to go. Why? Well, the most obvious answer is because the Assyrian Empire is incredibly wicked. That's not just Israel's opinion, although it is. They are known throughout the ancient world for brutal crimes against humanity. One scholarly article is titled, just to give you an idea, The Grisly Assyrian Record of Torture and Death. And that article concludes that no country has a more gory and blood-curdling history than Assyria. I can't even mention to you in in these polite surroundings the kinds of things that they did to the people that they captured in war. Send me an email if you really must know. 
One commentator said that sending Jonah to Nineveh at this time in history would be like God calling a Frenchman to go to Berlin in 1942 and to preach against the Nazis. Who's going to volunteer to do that? But that's just the superficial reason. There's a deeper and spiritual reason that Jonah is not going to Nineveh. It's not just that Jonah doesn't like the Assyrians. Nobody likes the Assyrians. The problem is, we find out, that actually Jonah doesn't like the God who calls him to go and preach there. And I think to really get this, what's going on in Jonah's heart, we need to look at three things from these first ten verses of our story. And these three things are Jonah's expatriation, Jonah's Auslander Ausweis, and the sign of Jonah. Let's have a look, shall we? First, Jonah's expatriation. I'm an expatriate. Probably 75% of you are too. And even when we're not running from God and his calling on our life, right? Being an expatriate is hard. Even if you hear the voice of God and you're 100% sure I'm supposed to go and live in this different place, expatriating is no small thing. You know that. You might not give up your citizenship, but what do you give up? You give up your sense of home and so much more. But think of what Jonah is willing to give up here. Hmm? Jonah, son of Amittai, was a prophet in the court of Jeroboam II. You can read about it in 2 Kings 14, 25 and thereabouts. He is embedded in the royal court. And he's a spiritual advisor to Jeroboam. And this all happens in the 8th century BC. And so Jonah has a lot of job security, especially because he's preaching things that Jeroboam likes to hear. He has access to power and prestige working there in the palace. Jonah's ministry and his calling are tied to this nation and to this land. This is, after all, the what land? The promised land. This is the place where God was reigning on earth. The the place where all of God's promises were yes and amen. This is the place where the light of God's face shone. Is God the God of the whole earth? Of course. But he's especially the God here. And Jonah left. See, Jonah is disgusted by the very idea of Nineveh, to be sure. But that's normal. Jonah is even more disgusted by the idea of being in the presence of the God who would want him to go to Nineveh. You can't see it in our NIVs, but three times it says that Jonah is fleeing or running away from the Lord, away from the Lord. In other translations, it brings out the fact that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I don't want to be in the same room as you, Yahweh. I don't want to be in the land where you dwell. I don't want to be among the people who call on your name anymore. I don't want to represent your word to our king or to any foreign king, especially to the king of Nineveh. What kind of God are you after all? 
I'm leaving your presence. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving everything. Now you leave me alone. That's what's going on here. And so he buys his ticket to Tarshish at the far other end of the Mediterranean, a ticket to the end of the world. Jonah's expatriation, let this sink in. His expatriation is an excommunication. And God didn't excommunicate him. He excommunicated himself. And he excommunicated his God. And so he bought his ticket and he sold his birthright citizenship. He's gone. But then secondly, something weird happens aboard the ship. The storm comes along. The pagan sailors wake him up. What are you doing praying? What's wrong with you? Pray to your God. Once they realize that this storm is his fault or he has something to do with it, verse 8, they say, who are you? Is the storm your fault? How is this storm your fault? Tell us. What is it about you, Jonah? And how does Jonah respond then? Well, shockingly, considering what he's doing by running away, Jonah pulls out his Auslander Ausweiss. That's my Swiss pass. Here we go. He pulls out his Auslander Ausweiss and shows it to them. I am a Hebrew. You see here? He identifies, first thing out of his mouth, his ethnicity, his nationality. And then he says, I serve or I worship Yahweh, Israel's God. Isn't that something? When he gets the chance, even in the middle of the storm, to identify himself, he leads off with what? With his ethnic identity and then his religious identity. Look here, I'm a Hebrew. Look here, my allegiance is to the God of everything, to the land and the sea. It's as if he is proudly telling these lost pagans that actually his God is the God of their pathetic gods. You're calling on all these gods? My God is the God of your gods. And he's proud to tell him that his God is therefore the one that's in charge of this storm. He's proud that he, as a Hebrew prophet, is in the inner circle of the world's power structures by belonging to Israel's courts and having allegiance to Israel's God. Before all of this happens, you might have noticed, he goes down into the, below the deck of the boat just as the storm is starting. You see, he's used to working in the palace, right? Speaking the words of God Almighty. And he doesn't have time to talk to a bunch of pagan sailors. Gets his ticket, shows his ticket, goes down below. Maybe he has a first-class ticket, I don't know. Falls asleep. But if he has to talk to these pagan sailors, well, this gives him the chance to tell them how special he is. And implied in this is, by contrast, how pathetic these pagans are. You're crying out in vain to all these gods. My God is the real God. Uh, on Tuesday, I was taking my Mittagspause uh, down by Stadelhofen, and I was approached by some evangelists who wanted me to become a Christian. And 
okay, that's good. Um, you know, it would be one thing to say these kinds of things that Jonah says here on a normal Tuesday, right? To bear witness to people that you think are lost and confused. To do it lovingly and out of concern as those folks did to me on Tuesday. But this isn't a well-meaning evangelist in Stadelhofer plots on an average Tuesday. This is a runaway prophet who has just excommunicated himself from God and from God's promised land. This is something very different. I don't know if you've had a similar experience, but leaving America five years ago has made me feel at the same time both less and more American. Something like that happened to you expats? More proud of some American things and super embarrassed about other American things. (laughs) More aware of who I am, more confused about who I am. It happens, right? But Jonah, having left Israel and Israel's God, and really done so in utter disgust, having renounced his citizenship and run from the very presence of the Lord, having boarded the ship and gone below the deck to sleep, now he's confronted by these sailors and he pulls out this Auslander Ausweis of his and shows it off to these strangers. He knows exactly who he thinks he is. And he can't wait to tell them. And these pagan sailors themselves can hardly believe it. What have you done? This terrified them. To realize that they were in the presence of the God of the sea. And it also must have stunned them at the same time to realize they were in a boat with God's prophet. Who was proud of his religion and his nationality at the very same time as he was defying the God of the sea. Eugene Peterson says that holiness is the cultivated habit of responding to the word of God instead of fitting into the world's program. And here's Jonah, the prophet of God, fitting in with the world's program of religious and national pride, all the while rejecting God's word in utter disgust and running from God's presence. You know, sometimes people go to church to hide from God. Sometimes people use religion to reject God, to run from the God who might challenge their rights, their pride, all of their ultimate commitments. And if we go to church in order to be our own God, then the ironic thing is that we've really become more worldly than the most worldly people. Samuel Johnson famously said that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. And having left his God and the promised land and left the promises themselves, Jonah takes refuge instead in a sort of nationalism, doesn't he? This is a pathetic place for a prophet. He's traded the promises of God for the pride of position. He trades 
the presence of God for an Auslander Ausweis that he can proudly wave in the faces of pagan sailors. Fast forward with me to the New Testament. Because there is another man who we discover is a proud nationalist, a hyper-patriotic fellow. And a person who therefore looked down on the Gentile nations, who boasted about his position and his pedigree, his learning and his leadership, who was so zealously religious that he violently tried to stamp out the Jesus movement. And then one day, the risen Jesus confronts him and calls him to be his spokesman. And in a humorous, ironic twist, calls him to be his spokesman where and among whom? Among the nations. And by the time Paul's journey of international witness to God's grace and mercy was through, he had sailed further west toward Tarshish than Jonah ever made it. One time when it looked like Paul might be killed for his witness and all of his favorite churches were worried, he wrote to the church in Philippi and he told them, look, actually, if I'm honest, I had to pick, die and go home and be in the presence of the Lord or stay here and serve you all. I mean, selfishly, I'd rather die and go be with the Lord Jesus. That's way more attractive than running around the Mediterranean trying to preach to pagans and to avoid getting arrested every day of my life. But he says to them, here's the thing though. You people at Philippi need me. The Greeks in Thessalonica could use me. The Roman believers could use a pastor. And I'd even like to make it all the way over to Spain where Tarshish was, and to preach the good news there as well. Paul says, for me, to, to die is gain. But if I go on living, I'm going to keep pouring myself out for all of you Gentiles. How does a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, a zealot, a nationalist, a persecutor of Christians, end up pouring his life out on foreign soil for the benefit of foreigners? Why would such a prominent patriot expatriate in order to preach to pagans? Well, there's only one explanation for it, isn't there? Because he realized that Jesus had lived in the palace, not merely a prophet, but the very prince of heaven that Jesus had volunteered to go a long way from home, not just across the desert, but from heaven to earth, on a rescue mission to people like us. People that, even in our most religious moments, really, honestly, don't know our right hand from our left hand. Paul realized that Jesus was ultimately willing to be excommunicated from his heavenly Father at the cross of Calvary, cut off not just from the people and the place that gave him his identity, but from life itself and communion with his God and Father. That Jesus was willing to be viewed as a traitor to his nation and a threat to the nations and to be killed, therefore, as a rebel against both Rome and Jerusalem. 
And when Paul ran into the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, where he was heading to try to kill the Jesus movement, Paul realized, I have been wrong. I have been so wrong. God is God, and Jesus is Lord, the God of Israel and the hope of all the nations. I wonder if you see here the sign of Jonah. Paul did. Jesus, raised from the dead, is God given to humanity, given to the nations. And when we see Jesus expatriating in order to make us citizens and sisters and brothers, how could we, go, go with, how could we not go with him and then begin to love every human being made in his image that we come across? When we recognize Jesus as not only Messiah to Israel, but hope of all the earth, how can we not say with the psalmist, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? And when we see what it took for Jesus to make us his own, how can we not love the possibility of being united with women and men and boys and girls from every nation through faith in Jesus? When we see Jesus enduring the hatred of proud religious and nationalistic people in order to redeem us, even though he was the one true Israelite, how can we not excommunicate ourselves from proud religion and embrace the Savior who embraces people of every nation. I wonder what you do when somebody stops you on a Tuesday in Stadelhofer Platz or wherever you are and says, hey, who are you? Where are you from? Who do you serve? What's your first thought? Is your first instinct to say, well, I'm an American. I'm a banker. And I'm a member of the prestigious International Protestant Church of Zurich. Or to say, I'm Swiss, and I'm an architect, and I'm a member of the historic Fraumünster Church. Or is it your first thought when somebody says, who are you, and who do you serve, and who are your people? Is your first thought to say, I'm a fearfully and wonderfully made creation of God, a new creation in Christ Jesus, a sinner saved by sheer grace, and a privileged witness bearer in word and in deed to all of the diverse people that God has put in my life, and I couldn't be happier about it. Friends, if we're going to move out this year, we're going to have to lose our religion in a sense, huh? We're going to have to discover the God of the nations and the compassion of Jesus. And only then will we be ready to go out from here and to be the smile of God in the life of everybody that we get to serve in Jesus' name. What an astonishing privilege to be the children of God as we are in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, help us come home to our privilege and to the joy of being your ambassadors everywhere we go. Thank you for the way that in this unique city you have brought many nations to live here and given us a chance to know people personally from far-flung places. 
Thank you for the crucible of sanctification that it is to be a people gathered together in one family here at IPC from every nation. Teach us to set aside our pride. Teach us to open our hearts to have your love and compassion, your grace and truth fill our hearts to overflowing and then overflow into the lives of the people around us. So that in the end, they would not see us and our identification badges, but they would see Jesus, Lord of all and Lord of grace and glory. We ask this for ourselves and for our church and for the nations and for Jesus' sake. Amen.